Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 639 of the Juicebox Podcast. Nicole is on the show today to tell her story. She is a registered nurse who was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes during the pandemic. She learned a lot about what hospitals and nurses know about diabetes and a lot about what she thought she knew. Get ready to have fun with Nicole. She's really wonderful. Please remember while you're listening that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. Are you a type 1 too, like Nicole? Do you live in the United States? Are you the caregiver of a type 1 who is a U.S. resident? If you are, oh my my, is that good news? Because that makes you eligible to take the survey at t1dexchange.org forward slash juice box. The survey is quick and simple and easy, and it helps people with type 1 diabetes. t1dexchange.org forward slash juice box. This episode of the Juice Box Podcast is brought to you by Omnipod, makers of the Omnipod Dash and the Omnipod Promise. Learn more today at omnipod.com forward slash juice box. The podcast is also sponsored by Touched by Type 1. They're a diabetes organization out there doing good work for people with type 1, and all they want is for you to check them out. They're at touchedbytype1.org, and they're on Instagram and Facebook. This is going to test my skills today, I'll tell you that much. (laughs) Yeah, I bet. It sounds like you've had an overwhelming last 24 hours. Yeah, yeah, I kind (laughs) of have. Oh, my God. I um, are You are a nurse, right? Yeah, I'm a registered nurse. Yeah. Have you ever worked in a hospital setting? Yeah, I did up until my diagnosis. So I had 15 years at our local hospital here. Oh, wow. So we're not recording yet. But, um, you know, I just, I mean, I just dropped my mom off at her, at her apartment and watched her barely be able to get into bed and <sighs> just kind of flop down. It was, you know... And, uh, I call, I sent a message to my brothers and I said, listen, we have to talk because I don't think like if, if things stay like this, like mom can't take care of herself. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And even just the basic of bladder infections is takes so much out of the elderly. Yeah. No, yeah. It's, it's fascinating. It really is. And, and, um, and she's, you know, she was getting by before, but now if she doesn't get hungry or doesn't remember to keep drinking, then she just lapses right back into into the same problem again. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's uh it's really something. And she didn't my, my mom never like you know, my mom and dad didn't exactly save money and take good care of themselves, and now she doesn't have any money. So she's looking at basically going to a place, you know, whatever place will accept you know, her social security check in exchange for living there, basically. Yeah, exactly. I was wondering how that works in the States because of course our medical systems are somewhat different mm-hmm. here in Canada. Um, but yeah, we do have um, government funded 
care homes here in Canada as well. Um, and then otherwise the ones you pay for are extremely expensive. They're, they're minimum $5,000 a month. Yeah. Right. I, I, yeah. I don't know who's paying for that. So yeah, and it's, and it's certainly not her, you know, and yeah. you're just like, wow, this is crazy. And not only that, but you start looking at her age and you're doing the math and you're like, oh, this is it. This is the last few years of her life. Oh, you know, it just, it just feels that way. And, uh, um, yeah. you know, and I'm sure it's possible she could just pop back up a week from now and be like, I feel better, <laughs> but definitely you know, yeah. it's definitely possible. Yeah. At the moment it's, it's just, I, I don't know, but aside of her, it made me feel like, oh hell, <laughs> it's like, first of all, I've always seen life as like a, 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 a group of people in a line standing at a cliff and just, you know, yeah. You're like one goes off like a lemming and you're like, I'm one person closer to having to walk off yeah. this cliff. You know, my mom was the last person in front of me. <laughs> so, yeah, totally. That's, <laughs> that's an interesting way of looking at it. But yeah, I guess it's very true. <laughs> like, oh my God, I'm next. And um, I said to my wife this morning, I was like, so basically your childhood is just bull. Like, you know, when you, you're, by the time you get to a certain age, you don't even remember being a kid. It's almost, you know, right. meaningless. And like, like, so that's like a proving ground situation. You find out if you're strong enough to stay alive and, you, you know, you're not going to cry all the time or, you know, drop dead from appendicitis. Now, okay, I'm in my 20s. I said, you, ba- yeah. you basically have from like 25 when your brain really solidifies to maybe 45, the first time you think, why does my knee hurt for no reason? Yeah, exactly. Right? That's like your whole life right there. <laughs> 25 to 45. It is, yeah. yeah there's the yeah, I'm getting to that point. I, I just turned 38, and yeah, it's like, wow, I'm kind of achy when it rains. That's that's a new sensation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm, I'm my assumption is, and by the way, now I've realized I'm probably leaving all this in the podcast, but... Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's okay. But, um, but now I've realized, like, it's the cooking part in the beginning, the living part in the middle, and the dying part at the end. You're basically, there's one-third of your, of your life is, like, really great. Yeah, and you better make the best of it, right? Holy hell. You know, yeah. I, I said to her, I was like, I, Kelly's like, what do you think about all this? I said two things. A, we need to retire as soon as possible. Yeah. I was like, and B, we need a suicide pack in case one of us can't take care of ourselves. I was like, we've, <laughs> yeah. we've got to decide when it's time to go and uh, and really agree on it up front. Because now I talk to my mom and I'm like, it's not even like it's not it's not all her anymore. You know what I mean? Like she's older, she's slower, her body's slower, but her mind's slower too. And yeah. you try to have too much of a deep conversation, you realize like she's just parroting back what she, what we're talking about sometimes. Yeah. You know, it's it's fascinating. Yeah, it's it's difficult to see your parents hit that stage of life. Like I, you know, my parents are still quite young, but you see that in families of patients I take care of at the hospital and it's it's a really difficult time. You don't ever want to see your parents like that, and and it and it will come one day. Yeah, I, if you're lucky. That's the irony. Damn it, is that this is yeah. the, this is the best case scenario? Is you don't die. right? <laughs> right? Yeah. Exactly. How old is she again? She's seventy nine. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> introduce yourself, and we'll start talking. <laughs> Yeah, so um, my name is Nicole, and I live in British Columbia, Canada, in a city called Kelowna, Um, and I'm a registered nurse. Oh, God, Nicole, right off the bat, I don't know where the hell you're at. Now i got to figure it out. (laughs) Hold on a second. 
Say British Columbia? That doesn't even sound like Yeah, Google map that. I'm doing it right now. <laughs> Don't you worry. Oh, you live in Washington State. Just say that. No. Oh, okay. No, I it's it's uh Canada. Oh, I know, but I'm saying it's right there. Oh, but yeah. yes, yeah, we're yeah, very yeah, close. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Are you are you close to the US or are you up more north? More north. Because there's it to to my eye, this uh corner of this British Columbia, you're almost in Alaska. I'm pretty far away from Alaska. Okay, so you're not that far up. Gotcha. No. All right. Okay. <laughs> all right, all right. So you're like Canadian, like not like that upper part, like the Yukon and that well, actually, now that you say that, I was born and raised in the Yukon, really. So I did live there until I was seventeen, and that is very northern, and we were an hour and a half away from Alaska. Um, and then when I graduated high school, I got into the nursing program, um, at the university of British Columbia mm -hmm. in Kelowna. So then I moved here and I took my training and I never left. You know, when you said you were born in the Yukon, my first thought, like the question that popped into my head is how do the ladies vaginas not freeze when they're having the baby? <laughs> Literally the first thing I thought. Which is either well, there is modern medicine, so they do go to the hospital for that. But okay. yes, it is very cold there. Yeah, I mean that <laughs> thought right there is either the reason why people like this podcast or the reason why people hate me. I don't know the difference, but um, yeah, I think it's why we love you. <laughs> genuinely, my first thought, like, the, wouldn't they like just like the labias? And like, I had a whole like like what? And then the cold air hits it, and what's going to end the kid? Is the kids? I have a hard time getting out of bed if the ceiling fans on. <laughs> what do you think of that? <laughs> Well, and now where I live, it's in wine country, and we uh, this summer we had a heat wave of an average temperature of forty six degrees Celsius. You're going to have to convert that into Fahrenheit for me, but uh, it's very hot. All right. Well, let's just say this: I have no idea how to convert that. <laughs> so let me just keep going with my. It was one hundred and fourteen degrees Fahrenheit. Yes. In Canada. Yes. Did the sled dogs all die? What happened? That's crazy. In the Yukon, they probably did. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it uh, it was quite intense. And um, I mean, the seriousness of it is that there, there were some fatalities because, um, you know, there are some older homes in Canada that don't have air conditioning. Hmm. And, um, you know, there's elderly people that just can't, uh, they, they can't manage those temperatures. So yeah. yeah, it was it was pretty crazy. Interestingly enough, um, two things. Are you on wired headphones? Yes. Try not to touch the microphone or let it hit your hair. Okay, okay? sounds good. And um, the other thing I was going to say was, with older elderly people, sometimes they don't know they're warm when they're warm. And, exactly. And that's the biggest problem is they're basically just cooking and they don't realize it until it's too too late, really. Exactly. That's really yeah. Crazy. I have to say that in the Northeast here of the of the U.S., I mean, I don't know about the rest of the country because I'm I'm not keeping tabs, but it had to have been one of the wettest summers I've lived through in, in my memory this year. Like, wow, and ours was so the much. driest. No kidding. Yeah, I think we got. Isn't that water. interesting? Yeah, it just rained and rained and rained and wouldn't stop, and it was inches of rain at a time, not just like wow, not just a storm. Um, wow. Yeah. That was really, that's really interesting. Okay. So yeah. you're, you're born there up in the, I mean, I, I'm guessing like the hinterlands is a way to say it. I don't know. What's there like 
<laughs> did you live in a tree for the first part of your life, or how does that work? An igloo. An igloo. An igloo. I, all right, hold on a second. Yukon. No, I'm just joking. I, I love how Canadian you are. You're like, oh, don't take me seriously. I didn't live in an igloo. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, there's buildings. I see it with Google. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a, there's a few buildings there for sure. Do you know that when I looked down at the map, I learned there's a Gulf of California. I was like, wait, I don't think I do that either. (laughs) Goddamn right. You didn't. I mean, nobody knows who there's no one listening who knows that everyone understands Gulf of Mexico. It's an obvious thing. But exactly. Apparently below San Diego, like California has like a. I don't want to say a penis. I don't know what it is exactly. There's something sticking down (laughs) off of California. It's probably another. Hold on. I'm going to. Oh, it's. Oh, Baja. I know nothing. Okay, so it looks like Baja goes all the way down, almost like midway into Mexico. And then there's this waterway. You knew that? Well, is that where Cabo San Lucas is, maybe? Braggart? How do you? Look at you throwing (laughs) away. Only because I took a vacation there. (laughs) Oh, okay. Oh, Cabo San. Yes, it's at the tip of of, uh, Baja, California. That's right. Yeah. No kidding. I know nothing about that. I am fat. I swear to you, I am now looking at the map of the United States at the point where it intersects Mexico. And I feel like I've looked down at my foot and seen a six toe for the first time in my life. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm not the greatest with geography too, but I just, I just seemed to know where Cabo San Lucas was. So I lucked out there. Was it a good vacation? It was an awesome vacation. Well, I mean, you're from the Yukon. Anywhere with a sun, you were probably just like, oh, we're in heaven. Okay. So how old were you when you were diagnosed? 37. 37. Just last year? Yes. So I was old for this diagnosis. (laughs) I was old for this diagnosis. (laughs) Everyone who's listening who was like 62 when you were diagnosed is like, nah. (laughs) Right? Those people are just happy they figured out how to get their podcast player on one more time right now. (laughs) You know, and I, no, no disrespect to you older people, but you know what happens. They change the operating system and you look at it and you're like, I don't know what this is. You know, why did they move everything? Um, yeah. So just, just last year. So are you, right, let me dig in a little bit. Not that any of this matters, but I like knowing married children, single. So I have a boyfriend um, and he's also in healthcare. He's a respiratory therapist. Um, so he was along for, for the ride for this whole diagnosis um, and, um, we live separately and we have no children, um, just focused on our careers right now. Right. And yeah. Well, that's interesting. So he, how long have you been dating prior to the diagnosis? Uh, for about two years. Oh, okay. That's not a new relationship, not an old relationship. Yes. Thankfully not new because it might've scared, uh, might've scared him away. Yeah. You haven't stopped having sex, but you're still doing it more than once a week. Am I right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there you go. No, I know how it works. Yeah, I got <laughs> you know one. how it goes. Oh, please. Right. I got you. <laughs> two more years till you're down to hand stuff, and then you just start pretending you can't hear him. <laughs> and, and then you schedule it in, right? No, Once every three no, months. You just start, you pretend you didn't hear. Like, <laughs> yeah. I felt like he said, let's watch television. <laughs> so so I turned over and went to sleep. Yeah, yeah. that works. Yeah, you just, yeah, I didn't notice. Oops, sorry. <laughs> Yeah, you've got a couple more years for that even. So a lot of yeah. fun. A lot of fun coming up. Um, yeah. Yeah. Hand stuff. It's a descriptive term that really says nothing at the same time. 
but says a lot because everybody knows what that means. Yeah. No, no, there's, there's children listening right now that they're like, Oh, I think I know what that means. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And, and don't tell your parents about this or you're not going to be able to listen anymore. Just so you know, Yeah. I I can't stop now. Um, so you were just diagnosed a year ago. So you were like living your, like, so out of the blue or was this something you'd been waiting for? You know, it's really interesting because the reason why I find this so fascinating, um, I only use that word now looking back, but September 15th will be my um, diversary, my first diversary. So coming up here and, um, you know, I, I hadn't felt well for at least a couple of years, but I, I always like leading up to the diagnosis, but I always kind of chalked it up to doing shift work. Um, 12 hour shifts aren't for the faint of heart. Mm-hmm. Um, you really just kind of work, eat and sleep. And, um, and then I started losing my hair and it was, it was very slow, but it was continuous. And so I did, uh, go to my family physician explaining that I was tired. I'm losing my hair. And he immediately assumed it was thyroid. So I did go for blood work. Um, and my thyroid was actually fine. My iron was low. So he just chalked it up to that. Okay. I started on iron supplements, um, and basically called it a day. And I do have to say that I have the most insane needle phobia. So to just go for blood work is it's still not an easy thing, but it, it really was not an easy thing back then. So to do a bunch of follow-up lab work, I wasn't really that interested in. I thought, okay, my iron's low. I'll just take the supplements and and I should be fine. But my energy never returned. My hair continued to be brittle and 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 thinning for sure. Um and so I just kind of left it at that. I I did get um some blood work done in 2018. And it was more because I thought I'm getting a little bit older and I'm in healthcare. I know it's good to have a baseline of all of your, you know, lab values. Mm -hmm. So I did go and get blood work at that time. And my fasting glucose was 8.5. So that is, I have a conversion graph up here for you. Oh, thank you. That's uh, 153. Okay. That's you have diabetes. It, it was elevated for sure. And when my family doctor called me to follow up on that, I had said, well, you know, my extreme stress for, for lab work. Um, and I also had popped a piece of gum before I went because I was fasting and my mouth was dry. So we kind of both agreed that it was because of that. And it never was followed up on. And I think that the golden rule of lab work that is out of the normal range is to repeat it. Mm-hmm. It really should have been repeated and, and it wasn't. And, and I didn't mind that because I, I really don't like needles. So that brings me to the start of the pandemic. And of course that was an extremely stressful time to be in healthcare and working at the hospital. And I worked on a small medical unit And we were actually notified one day that our whole unit was just going to close and we were going to be redeployed to work the COVID ward. Mm -hmm. So this is when nurses in Italy were dying from COVID because we actually didn't know what PPE we required. We didn't know the severity of COVID. So 
all we knew here in Canada was in Italy, nurses and healthcare professionals were dying from COVID. So the stress was just extreme. Did you go to so, work every day thinking I'm gonna get I'm gonna die today or I'm gonna? I thought I was going to die of COVID. I just didn't know when. Ah, okay. So yeah, it was really stressful. Um, of course, we never ever had any issues with PPE um, at our hospital. We did conserve our PPE, but we were never denied PPE. So I was very lucky that way. I know it wasn't like that for everybody in healthcare mm-hmm. at that time. And I, six months leading up to September 15th of 2020, working the COVID ward, I started to rapidly lose weight. But it's really interesting because, again, it's, it's so fascinating for me as a registered nurse how I didn't really pick up on all of these signs. And it was basically there were so many things that were an excuse for what was going on. So I, and I, and I am pretty healthy, but I decided to really, you know, cut out all fast food. I didn't want to be exposed to people handling my food, um, increase my water intake. I just, I just started to be really healthy, making all of my own food, all of my own bread, but I was rapidly losing weight. And, and I just thought it was because I was starting to eat really clean. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And of course I was thirsty, extremely thirsty, but that's because I was wearing a mask all day at work. And, and every time you have to go out in public, you're wearing a mask and it makes you feel dry. So, you know, and then you feel dry. So you're drinking extra water and then you're peeing more. So, I mean, you know, these are all the symptoms of diabetes, but I would have never, ever thought I had diabetes. (laughs) <laughs> you just kept coming up with reasons why it wasn't the parents. So the many reasons. Yeah. yeah. And, thing. you know, if I wasn't working in a pandemic with all this extra stress, I think it would have been a little bit more apparent to me. The other thing is being 37. I briefly thought maybe I have type two diabetes, even though I'm very petite, right. but I have a grandpa who has type two diabetes. And I quickly just dismissed that. Like, there's no way I'm, you know, I am a healthy weight. Um, I eat clean. Like there's just no way. So over the next few months, I started to kind of write down my symptoms on my notepad in my iPhone. And I thought I have to make a doctor's appointment because I am really thin. Like, you know, by the time I was diagnosed, I was down to 104 pounds and my baseline is 120. Mm. So anyway, I had all these um, things written down to talk to my doctor about, and I went into work one day and I couldn't stay awake. And I, I was doing everything to stay awake. I was falling asleep during our nursing rounds. Um, And I can't even tell you still to this day, what compelled me to ask my coworker to check my blood sugar. Cause I hate those finger pokes. So for me to even ask somebody to do that to me, you know, I think, I think I knew, but I was in denial and I, and I, what I thought was type two diabetes because I was craving sugar at this point. I was drinking orange juice from the nursing patient fridge. Um, I was baking and eating all of the baking. My boyfriend wouldn't even know that I was baking, um, but still losing weight. So I kind of thought it was, 
it was awesome at the time. I could eat whatever I wanted all of a sudden and I wasn't gaining weight. Yeah. I'm laughing for how many people I remember have said that to me. You know, yeah. yeah, And I just still kicking myself. How did I not know? And so, yeah, September 15th, well, actually the 14th, I called in sick for work because I woke up in the morning to get ready for work and my legs felt like they were literally a hundred pounds each. Mm -hmm. I just couldn't get going. So I ended up calling in sick for that shift. The next day I felt the same, but I forced myself to go into work. And in the afternoon, I got my co-worker to check my blood sugar. And let me look at the graph here. It was 504. Ooh. You know, while you were talking, I Googled, I, I thought to myself, there's definitely a saying that doctors are the worst patients, but I wasn't 100% sure what was a real <laughs> saying. So then I Googled doctors are, and it's the second return. Overrated is the first return, which I think. Doctors are overrated. Doctors are the worst patients. Doctors are heroes. Doctors aren't scientists. That's what comes up when you when you Google doctors are. Um, because I just kept thinking, like, people are listening and thinking, if you don't know, who the hell is going to know? <laughs> yeah, well, and I'm a registered nurse. But I mean, at the same time, I should know as much about diabetes as a, as a general practitioner. Hmm. Is that really true, though? They don't teach you much about it in school, right? No. And that's what I wanted to talk about is just this whole process just blew me away as, as each step started to take its place in this diagnosis for me. So she checked my blood sugar and it was 504. And our rule of thumb is to wash your hands and check it again. Yeah. In in case you got an entire Coca-Cola into that test strip. (laughs) At this point, yeah, and I wouldn't have even known that at the time. It, so it, I, I just have to say, it really is. You, it's that moment you're just like, okay, well, obviously I have diabetes, but let me just wash my hands in case. It I was got, Scott. Yeah, 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 yeah. It really was. Yeah. And again, I'm thinking type two. Right. Type one never crossed my mind, not even for one second. Because I was eating so much baking. I was making jugs of orange juice. I don't drink juice. I don't drink pop normally. And so this craving for sugar was so strong. Mm. And, and you know, ultimately that's why I thought, oh, geez, maybe I've pushed myself into type 2 diabetes. So we both laughed. She, I washed my hands and she rechecked it again. And it was 513. So Did you think I kind of took, I'll just wash them 16 more times. If I yeah, <laughs> I really wanted to. Oh, listen, and you're in a dangerous situation going after all those sweets. Cause eventually you're going to end up fighting a bear for honey up there. And then right? yeah, I mean, you're going to be too weak from the DKA. There's no way you're going to be able to do it. That's where I was at, mm-hmm. you know, and I didn't even know. So I kind of just took a deep breath and I sat down at our nursing table and my charge nurse came over and I said, and his name is Scott. And I said, Hey, so my blood sugar is 513. And he kind of said, what? And there was one of my favorite doctors sitting at the table too. And that doctor looked at me and he said, Hey, Nicole, do you have diabetes? I said, no. And I kind of laughed and he looked at me and he said, you do now. Yeah. I was going to say, you should have said not for the next two seconds. I don't think, but I think I'm going to, and there it is. Yeah. Like he, yeah. Uh, yeah. That sucks. And that just was your shock. diagnosis, huh? Just the doctor sitting at a desk going. That was it. Yeah. You have diabetes. Ma- making what he kind of thought was a joke, but, but 
I mean, there's no other explanation really. I mean, except for rare illnesses that would cause your blood sugar to be that high. Mm -hmm. So my charge nurse said, you know, pack your stuff up. We'll head down to emergency and we'll, we'll get you in. And I said, no, no, no. Like I'll finish my shift. And, um, this, I think this was around three in the afternoon. You know, I have four more hours to go. I'll finish my shift and I'll just follow up with my family doctor. And he kind of looked at me and he said, you know, give your head a shake. Like something is seriously wrong. We, we need to go downstairs to emergency. So that's when it all started to kick in and I lost it. I completely broke down. And my main concern was that I was going to have to get more needles to find out what was going on. Mm -hmm. Little did I know my whole life would be surrounded by needles very shortly. Yeah, no kidding. You just used an idiom that I've never heard before in my life. What's that? Give your head a shake. Oh, you've never heard that? No. Maybe it's a Canadian thing. And imperative to reevaluate one's ideas, behaviors, or actions, or to begin acting or thinking sensibly, primarily heard in Canada. Oh, there you go. Yeah, you said, like, I, it's funny, I knew what you meant right away, but it was one of those things that in my brain, I had to stop listening to you and go, give your head a shake. What the hell is she? Oh, oh, I get that. Okay. And then I was, and then, then, you know, then I'm Googling because we're being recorded and I'm going to bring it up. So, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, your first thought after you recognize, oh, hell, this is really what's happening, wasn't about, any of the impacts on your life beyond oh, more people are going to poke me. Exactly. And anybody who knew me from the time that I formed memories, I have had a needle phobia and, you know, phobias can be trauma as a young child that you don't really have memories around, but it creates these phobias for you. So that's, that's my whole life. I just thought obviously something happened maybe with immunizations as a baby and it, and it had, you know, a long lasting impact on me, mm-hmm. but there wasn't, there wasn't ever a scenario where I remembered having a bad needle from something. Okay. I just always had this extreme needle phobia. No trouble giving them to people. In fact, I was one of the best. <laughs> so it's very ironic. Because and, I- and I think I'm more sensitive to the fact that needles aren't fun for anybody. And so I really honed in on that skill as a nurse and. And yeah, I, I perfected it for sure. So working in, in, in that setting, you're poking people in pretty much everywhere, right? You're catheterizing yes. people. You're, you're, yes. you're starting IVs. You're starting all kinds of like, I'm sure you've like, I'm sure you've like gone into someone's neck at some point, right? Like it's, yeah, yeah. I haven't gone into someone's neck cause that's more critical care, but, Damn, um, I, I mean everything story. else. Okay. Yeah. I, I wanted the next story. Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Can we just, start? I refused the neck IV when I went down to emergency. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. I'd rather die here. Thank you for, <laughs> wow. So you get down there. Is it, um, uh, what, uh, what am I wondering here? Is it weird for you because it's where you work? Like, do you think, oh, what's my better question? When you're younger and you're in healthcare, do you sit there and think, oh God, these things are going to happen to me maybe one day? Or do you have this weird feeling like you're a, not above it, but immune to it a little bit because you do it? You know, you, yeah, I don't know why I, th- I thought I was invincible, but, but you do. 
Y- you know, you eat healthy. Um, you know, I didn't exercise a ton, but I definitely didn't lead an unhealthy lifestyle. And so I never, ever thought I would be diagnosed with a chronic disease ever. Now, how could you? You're a nurse. Like, that's the feeling, Exactly. Right? This, we're, we're immune to that. Makes me think of this 1950s, like, magazine ads where doctors are sitting on the corner of their desk in a long coat, smoking a cigarette, giving you advice. You ever seen yeah, that? exactly. Yeah, yeah. What you need to do is get some exercise. Yeah. <laughs> Chesterfield King. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just very uh, uh, it's it's just an interesting situation. I I really do always wonder that about um about healthcare workers. Like I I said to my wife in the past, like that must be the worst job because you're just surrounded with like by the ghost of Christmas future constantly. Yeah, like how, how do you not watch people come in, you know, with different elements, elderly people watching them get older and just wonder, like, I wonder which one of these things is going to happen to me? Yeah. And I mean, definitely, as I got older, I started my nursing career when I was quite young, you know, starting to approach my late 30s, you you did, unfortunately, see people starting, you know, to have cancer diagnoses. Um you know, some pretty critical diagnosis happening in their life. And, and then it, it, it did slowly start getting a little closer to home, the older I was getting. Mm-hmm. Um, but you still don't think it's going to happen to you. Yeah. It must be like being like a Formula One race car driver and somebody goes into a wall and explodes and you just think, huh, wasn't me. You, you know, like, right? like, <laughs> because I, cause how can you not think it's not going to be you at some point? I know, yeah. I know. And I, I don't know why I ever thought that either. It's not like there's any health issues. Um, like there's health issues that exist in my family and in my genetics. And, but you still, you know, maybe it even has nothing to do with being a nurse. You're just, that's how you grow up. You, you don't ever think something's going to happen to you unless I guess you're a pessimist all the time. But <laughs> I, I just, I just imagine it's one way or the other that you either sit there thinking like, when is the, one of these things going to happen to me? Or you have that like invincible feeling of like, oh, it's yeah. going to happen to me. I'm I'm a race car driver. We don't crash. Yeah. People crash going to work, not me. I know how to drive this thing. But, yeah, exactly. But are, are nurses inherently any healthier than anybody else that you know? No. No. <laughs> so, you know, we're, we're your average person. I yeah. mean, yeah, we, it's, you know, we're not necessarily the healthiest of people just because we're in healthcare, and especially doing shift work. Just just to know what that exposes you to uh, for chronic diseases later on in your life. Um, yeah, it, it you know, your your uh, ability to get type two diabetes pretty significantly. Yes, yes. yes. Shift, shift work's bad for you. <laughs> uh, yes, it's it's extremely bad for you. It's definitely a risk factor for chronic diseases. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no kidding. So, all right. So now you're there and you're, was it weird being helped by people you, by coworkers? Yes. This, this is the whole thing that I still have trouble and I've been getting ongoing counseling for for this to help process just the diagnosis and everything over the last year. But yeah, I mean, here I am in my scrubs still Hmm. laying in a bed as a patient in emergency being told that I have diabetes and it's just, it's so surreal. I still have not been able to fully process that. Like just what are the chances that I'm working as a nurse 
one minute and the next minute I'm a patient in a bed yeah. at the same hospital. Yeah, that usually only happens like on ER or Grey's Anatomy. Or yeah. Like, like where you get hit does. by a helicopter walking to your car or something like that, which I think has happened on every medical show I've ever seen in my life. Eventually, <laughs> eventually they get like eight, ten seasons in and they're like, we should have the medevac helicopter crash into one of the doctors. Like it's... <laughs> That's why I can't even watch those shows. <laughs> <laughs> you don't think that's real? Everyone's not. Wait a minute. Hold on. Don't lie to me. Everyone's not having sex in every closet. No, it's really not happening. Maybe the odd couple of people, but uh, oh, that's yeah, disappointing as hell. I gotta be honest. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> really is. It really is disappointing. Before we move forward, I just want to tell people: uh, researchers have found that shift work is linked to an increased risk of heart attacks, ulcers, depression obesity, high blood pressure, sleep disorders, type 2 diabetes. <laughs> I mean, good luck. Your body wants to sleep when the sun's down. Is um, Exactly. And yeah. plus, they say it shaves about 10 years off of your life as well. Just 10 years? Right? <laughs> well, that's great. <laughs> Don't- we really are giving ourselves to take care of others. <laughs> yeah, but I'm sure you're making like a 8% shift differential. So it's all fine. I mean, the extra $35 a day is probably making a huge difference for you and uh, really changing your life. Definitely. Oh, yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Worth, so before we started recording, I don't know how we're going to do this, but before we started recording, I, I was saying to Nicole, in case it doesn't make it into the show, today's a very strange day for me. Nicole and I are, are recording very late in the afternoon. We were supposed to do this hours ago, but my mom was in the hospital late last night. And I was with her in the emergency room, which is such a strange thing because my wife's like, don't you have to record tomorrow? And I looked and I was like, oh, my God, I do with a nurse who has type one. And I was like, I (laughs) spent my whole night in a room with a nurse. I I should ask her if she had type one. I mean, I probably could have just gotten this out of the way sooner. But um, so Nicole's really nice. She has the day off and she she let this go. But it's in the forefront of my mind, obviously, right now, healthcare and and uh, that thought I had about nurses must be sad like I had last night like sitting there and talk to my wife about it this morning when I got up. Um, but it's just a really, really weird timing, like for, you know, as far as this goes. And anyway, I was saying to you at the beginning, I was like, I, I was having this existential like crisis this morning, speaking to my wife when I got out of bed and I was like, this is all just bullshit. <laughs> she's like, she's mm-hmm. like, what is it? I'm like the whole thing. I was like the first 20, 25 years, I didn't know what I was doing and I can't even remember them. I said, uh, my knee's been hurting for the last five years. My back is stiff. Every night. I can't sleep on my stomach anymore because it makes my lower back hurt. How the hell is that possible? Right. So, you, you know, like there's these things are happening. Um, you, you start. I don't know, Nicole, you're you're a little far from it still, but there'll be a moment in your life where you get up three, four o'clock in the morning to go to the bathroom and you'll hit the floor and realize that your ankle's not articulating the way that it's supposed to. And it takes a good three or four steps to get moving before that works. And I was like, so I said to my wife today, I was like, so your life is just 25 to 45? Like, if you're lucky, those are the, that's the sweet spot. I was like, you're right. I'm like, what a ripoff. I mean, really? I I said to her, I was like, we got to, right now, like, we got to find a way to retire. I was like, we're done almost. I said, we're almost dead. What are we doing? Yeah. She's like, what about the kids paying for college? I was like. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care. Student loans. Yeah, let them do what I did. <laughs> Struggle. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Meanwhile, I mean, I don't really feel that way. 
I mean, big picture, but it is hard not to like, you know, see your mom, you know, at an age where you're thinking you're still going to be like living a jet setting lifestyle. And she's like, can someone please bring the sofa closer to me so I can sit down? You know, like that's, uh, uh, it's not, it doesn't feel you full of good feelings. Um, but I do want to know more about you being diagnosed. So, um, this can't all be about me being overly tired and my mom going into the hospital last night. Uh, yeah, I know that's okay. So, uh, what did you learn about what you don't know about diabetes being on the other side of it suddenly? If you are currently injecting your insulin and you would like to try an insulin pump, I think it would be worth your time to check out the Omnipod Dash. You can do that at omnipod.com forward slash juice box. The website gives you a lot of flexibility. You can check into your eligibility for a free 30-day trial of the Omnipod Dash, and you can see if your insurance covers it. But let's talk again for a second about a free 30-day trial of the Omnipod Dash. This is unprecedented. You get the pump for 30 days if you're eligible, and you can try it, wear it, and see what you think. If you don't like it, no harm, no foul, no big deal, no pressure. Just give it a shot. And if you do like it, it's simple to keep going. And then there's that Omnipod promise. And that's a simple one. That says that when you're eligible, you can upgrade to Omnipod's latest and greatest technology. And you know what I'm talking about, right? The Omnipod 5. We just had a big episode about it recently. The FDA has cleared the Omnipod 5. It's rolling out now, and you can let Omnipod know you're interested. Omnipod.com forward slash juice box five. You can do that if you want to go tell Omnipod that you're interested in knowing more about the Omnipod five when it's available to you. You can do that at my link as well. So you can get started with the Omnipod dash. You can get the regular old Omnipod if you want, and you can let Omnipod know you're interested in algorithm-based pumping with their Omnipod 5 product. Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. Omnipod.com forward slash juice box 5. No matter which pump you choose, tubeless is the way to go. My daughter has been using the Omnipod since she was four years old, and she's about to turn 18. She's been wearing an Omnipod every day for all of those years, and it has been absolutely fabulous for her and her type 1 diabetes. If you're using insulin and you need an insulin pump, check out the Omnipod. If you've been looking for my diabetes pro tip series and can't find it, it's right there, right there in your podcast player. It starts at episode 210. And if that's hard for you to find, all right, I understand. Why don't you head over to juiceboxpodcast.com and click on right at the top, it says diabetes pro tip. It'll show you all of the episodes in the Diabetes Pro Tip series and the Defining Diabetes series. You can actually listen to them online or just get the episode numbers there so you know what to look for in your podcast app. And now I get you back to Nicole. There's just a tiny bit more music and then we're just talking again. Everything, you know... (laughs) It's just, it's, it's so incredible. And you know, what's even more ironic is that my shift leading up to 
Um, sorry about the background noise there. Um, I didn't hear anything. Was somebody killing a moose outside or what? Okay, perfect. No. (laughs) They're rolling in the big metal garbage bins at my condo building. It always makes such a big noise. Please don't ruin the illusion, Nicole. Could you (laughs) you just say a penguin attacked your window or something like that, please? And my igloo's melting now. Did you look up and a polar bear was trying to break your window with a penguin (laughs) like it was a rock? Could you say something? Oh, I love this. Say something fun, would you please? Jesus. But the oh man, that's so the, funny. The metal cans are coming up to my condo. <laughs> it was the sled dog team outside. It sounds like you live in a completely lovely place. <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're ruining the only thing I think about Canada. All right. So go, I'm sorry. Go ahead. You, you, you know, all of a sudden you're sitting in that bed and someone who, by the way, I'm imagining five seconds before this, you thought of as a really great nurse is all of a sudden showing that she don't know much about what's happening to you. Yeah. And and, you know, when I had the blood work done um, and the it was actually a resident who came in to talk to me and said, you know, um, you have diabetes and you are in severe DKA. And leading up to going down to emergency, I had a young girl who I had just transferred out of ICU up to my medical ward. She was in ICU with DKA because she, um, you know, whatever social factors were going on in her life, she just gave up giving herself her her insulin. Mm -hmm. So, you know, here I was questioning her on on why she did that and, um, you know, making sure that we were getting her blood glucose in range and making sure that she had all her insulin and, and, you know, at home when she was ready to be discharged and that she had everything organized and, and all of a sudden all of a sudden it's me and DKA within three hours of having that patient. And it's just, I can't even tell you how crazy it is to be on the other side so quick and, and still, still in my nursing scrubs. So the resident comes in and says, I have diabetes and, um, and then basically leaves and I'm just a basket case. And my boyfriend had just worked a night shift the night before. So he, he was pretty tired and, obviously I phoned him and said, you, you need to come to the hospital right now. Um, so it did take him a little bit of time to get there because he had to try to wake up and, you know, be safe to drive. And, um, anyway, so the, the ICU specialist doctor came in, we called him our intensivist and, um, said, we're going to be transferring you to ICU. And it's still every single thing they said to me was just like me, like, I'm going to ICU. Like normally it's one of my patients Mm -hmm. and never have being sick or in the hospital a day in my life. It just, it was so much to take on. Um, and I said, okay, well, when am I starting metformin, um, or gliburide or, you know, which are medications to treat type two diabetes and they're tablets, not needles. (laughs) So he just, he looked at me and he just said, you have type one diabetes. And I said, no, I don't. And he said, Nicole, and he knows me. And he said, you have type one diabetes. And it it wasn't until the next day that I stopped asking when I could switch from my insulin infusion, because they immediately put me on an insulin infusion, when I could switch from that to my metformin. And the other intensivist just, he, 
he was very, very serious. And he, he said, this is type one diabetes. You will be on insulin for the rest of your life. What, what were you, and it, do you, looking back, do you know what you were doing right then? Were you in shock, disbelief? I was in total shock. Yeah. yeah I just, I, I couldn't even process it. I really, really couldn't. And, and at, by the time I got to ICU, my blood sugar was 603. So, um, you know, they, they all told me that if I had gone home that night, um, living alone, sleeping alone, I probably wouldn't have woken up the next morning the way things were going and cutting you slack for being in DKA. That should have been your first thought when you saw your blood sugar, your first thought, like, like, what would you have done if I came in there, you tested my blood sugar and it was 514. I would have called the doctor stat yeah, because and I said, we have some diabetes. serious problems. <laughs> yeah, this guy here with type 1 diabetes, and uh, he thinks he's going to go home, work four more hours, and then come back tomorrow. <laughs> like, this, this is the state of shock, right? Yeah, like, you're not. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, um, I'm still pretty speechless. It, it's just the way it all happened. And, you know, part of counseling was um, going over how crazy this all was being a nurse. And then like immediately on the flip side, being a patient and, you know, the way that I look at it and the way that I've been kind of talking with my counselor to work through it is that if I wasn't there that day, it wouldn't have probably worked out as well as it did. Mm. Meaning that I, I could have easily not woken up the next morning. You were that far you were that bad, poorly off at that point because that's not the yeah. highest they want uh, highest uh, you know blood sugar I've ever heard at diagnosis for certain. Definitely, me neither. I mean, yeah. I've heard of people coming in in the high forties, which on this graph is seven hundred and twenty. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Or that's that's forty is seven hundred and twenty. Right. Wow. Yeah, I've definitely heard of that. So um, I was really lucky to have caught it when I did and not have gone a couple more days like that, even if I was able to stay alert and awake, um, just the damage that it does, you know, how long were you in the hospital? So I spent three nights and four days at the hospital and just one night in ICU Okay, and then transferred. So here are my questions about that. Were there goals for you? What were their goals for you about your blood sugar? I'm, I'm sure they were trying to bring you down slowly to get you stabilized. But, yes. But was that all done through IV or when did you begin using injections of your own? So that was all through the IV um, while I was in ICU. Mm-hmm. And uh, our rule in Canada here is that you cannot be running IV insulin on a general medical ward because it's a, a critical medication, okay. especially given through the intravenous. And so, um, within 24 hours, I was transferred up to a medical ward and that infusion was stopped. And, um, you know, then, then began, um, my first dose of insulin and it was a production. I'm not going to lie. And, and that whole night leading up to that, I had hourly lab work and hourly glucose testing finger pricks. I definitely reached my maximum level of coping by the next morning mm. and started refusing lab work. Did you really? The I did. I, the needles were so overwhelming to me 
Um, that basically was what I was focused on for the first 24 hours, if you can believe it or not, but that's how bad my phobia was. So to have these hourly blood work, um, was very taxing on my system. And, um, I knew my numbers were coming down and I knew that they were looking way better. And so I did refuse two two sets of lab work before the intensivist came in that morning. And I just basically told him like, I, I, I can't do this. Um, well, and he you, told me I have to do this. Yeah, basically. What, did, what did you think when you said, I can't do this? Did you think I'm just gonna, I'll die. That's fine. Or did you think? think there was another way out of this? Were you bartering? What, what was that? Yeah. You know, I think it was somewhat of a barter because we did come to the conclusion that, okay, you know, he said to me, I agree you you're borderline, but your numbers are looking way better. Um, we can probably call you stable and why don't we do blood work every four hours? So I said, deal, basically I can handle that. Meanwhile, my boyfriend who works in ICU is a respiratory therapist all the time is kind of shaking his head, um, you know, like telling me that I'm not the one calling the shots anymore. Yeah. Yeah. You got to kind of shut up and let them do it. Did you? you yeah, have, pretty much. Do you have that feeling like, oh, I can still run the show here? I did feel that a little bit. Yeah. Just with so many years of nursing, it just was so weird to relinquish control to the people that I worked with mm-hmm. to take care of me. So I've said this out loud enough. I'm not scared to say it again, but I've gotten pushback and I've gotten people to agree with me. I've said that uh, of the great number of parents who are um, who are parents of kids with type one that are nurses, most of them end up being bad at it in the beginning. And I think there's something about the art that there is to giving insulin and that they want it to fall into very strict rules and guidelines like almost like, I don't know, I can't figure it out completely, but it almost feels like to a nurse, diabetes is check, write down the number, count these carbs, make the, do the, do the math, give the insulin, that's diabetes. And then when they see it in their real life where they can actually watch it on a glucose monitor and they realize it's not going the way they anticipated or that it's not just so um, I don't want to call it throwaway, but you know, I imagine if you have a like patient, cut and dry, yeah, very cut and dry. Like, oh, I gave you your medication, uh, you ate your food. I came back three hours later, and your blood sugar was three fifty. Oh well, I'll do another mathematical equation. And I'll give you more insulin instead of it feeling like, oh God, I'm killing my kid, or oh Jesus, I'm killing myself. Mm-hmm. Like, right? There's a mm-hmm. th- there's a disconnect there, and it shines a light pretty brightly in my imagine in in my thinking on how little emergency medical, and I do say hospitals are still emergency, right? You're only going to be there for a couple of days. It's not long-term care. Um, knows about like the real back room of, of diabetes and using insulin. I don't think anybody really understands it at all. No. And this, this is kind of the shock that I went through for the next few days was, and anger was, as a registered nurse, how little I knew about type one diabetes. And, you know, I have to say over the last year, of course, I've done so much reflecting. One of the main reasons is because in my opinion, I didn't take care of very many type one diabetics in my 15 years at the hospital. 
it was mostly type twos because type one diabetics have a somewhat immediate effect of not taking care of their blood glucose. Type two diabetics have a very delayed um, kind of effect, you know, of um, losing their limbs and their eyesight and um, type one diabetics. If, if you give too much insulin, you know, right away, if you don't give enough, you know, right away type twos, it just seems to be much different. Yeah. So one, one set of circumstances comes up on you quickly and feels pretty dire. And the other one seems like a, like a tale of what might happen to you. Cause it happens to some people, but everybody gets to have the feeling you had, which is it won't happen to me. So I'm okay. And then you get to ignore it because of that. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, and just to even know, you know, my first few days when I was at home giving insulin and then I would eat my supper and then I would get up and clean the dishes and have a severe hypoglycemia. Mm -hmm. And it, it was just absolutely shocking to me how much I didn't know about type one diabetes and, and even my type two patients who I would give a large amount of insulin to fast acting insulin. And then they would leave the ward and go for a, a cigarette smoke outside the hospital or something. Yeah. And, and for me to never, ever have been taught in my training that maybe they should hang around for a little bit because they could have an immediate response to the amount of insulin I just gave them. Mm-hmm. But you, you just, you don't, you don't see that as a nurse. You don't know that as a nurse, you, the hospital doesn't manage diabetes very well either. You know, they're giving me cookies and crackers and things like that for snacks, um, fruit cups that are in sugary syrup. It just, it really, really was astonishing to me. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. And I was on this big campaign of like, I'm going to revamp the nutrition system in the hospital. And I'm going to, you know, this is in my first few months of the diagnosis. Of course, now I realize I don't have time to, to battle that, but that's a, a much bigger political issue, but um, well, you're also yeah, lucky it, about what part of Canada you live in because what kind of insulin did you get when you left? So I was started on Basaglar, which is Lantus, mm-hmm. uh, for long acting, and then Novo Rapid Aspart um, insulin for my fast acting, and yeah. I'm still on that. There are places in Canada where they would give you regular and MPH. Yes, there is. And when I first started nursing, that's exactly what it was. And we were drawing them out of vials. Mm-hmm. And now the hospital's gone to pens. It's interesting. I mean, you're using a, a there's a last generation of insulin being used still in parts of Canada and parts of America, too, by the way. But yes, um, yes, but that's that's even fascinating. So, yeah, tell me a little bit about. Well, actually, this is going to sound really strange, Nicole. I have to call my mom. And then I'm going to ask you a question, okay? This doesn't normally happen in the middle of the podcast, but we're in a specific situation here. Um, You're likely going to hear something that won't be in the show, but give me a second. She just tried to call me. Yes, Scott. Hey, Mom. Okay, uh, what are those things called? Well, hold on. Wait, hold on one second. Did Bob get a hold of you? No. Okay, so we did some. We we thought maybe it would be better for you to not have to go to the doctor tonight because of how tired you are. So we he canceled the appointment and he has it set up for. They're gonna call. Let's see. He said uh, they I canceled the appointment for tonight. 
the doctor is going to get a referral and call him back. So we're going to skip going to your general and just get the referral to the um, specialist. Okay. Uh, did he say where the specialist is located? Or Bob's waiting for the phone call back to get the answer to that. Oh, okay. All, All right. right. So you should get ready for bed and and get something to eat and sleep. Okay. I, I can't go. I can't go go in that bed. It's really comfortable, mm-hmm. and I was sleeping uh, for about an hour, but then I woke up and had to go to the bathroom, Right. and I got up, but I couldn't get out of bed because it was the same as the couches, soft in the middle, and you can't get out of it right. So you're going to sit in your chair? I, I think that's what I'm going to do, yeah, because okay. that's what I'm doing right now, sit, sitting in a chair. All right. Well, I did you see I put yogurt and... All kinds of food in there. I got you uh, frozen meals that'll be easier. They have some carbs in them, but they're not bad. So I got you like three dinners and a bunch of breakfasts. Uh, I bought more eggs, though. You didn't need them. And I filled your refrigerator up with a lot of different stuff. Right. I saw it was filled. Okay. I didn't get a chance to see all what was, but I saw that it was filled. Did yeah. you look in the freezer as well? No, I didn't. I didn't even look in the freezer. Take a look I'm in there. Sure. You think you could eat something? Uh, probably. Yeah, I would try to eat something. Do you have a drink with you? Uh, I have, uh, like, a little bit of water, I have, but I have a Gatorade that's uh, sitting there. Good. Let's let's pound that Gatorade down. Get it down, okay? Okay. All right. Okay. Uh, what did you call about? What was your question? Uh, I wanted to know what the product was called, that, that eggs in a... Oh, I didn't... That I didn't find. So, it's called eggs in a cup. If Bob's going to run out for you, tell him to text me and I'll tell him what it is. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Get get something to eat. I'm going to call you in a little bit. Okay. Okay, honey. All right. right. Love you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Love you. Oh, she sounds adorable. Do I need to even tell her that she was on the podcast? I think legally she's my mom. I don't even have to worry about it. Um, I I mean, she's not going to. She sounds good. She's doing it. Listen. She's been asleep for like three hours in the last 36 hours. So she could Aww. be high as a kite too. Like who knows? Just like out of her She mind. could be. <laughs> um, I'm so sorry that I, I really, it's not normally what happens when I'm making the podcast, but. Uh, it just feels like a day at work. It, you know, it feels normal to me. Yeah. It's, it, it's, <laughs> it was so nice to see the nurse who's probably about your age work with my mom last night. And she just caught me in the hallway and she's like, this stuff happens to older people. Like it was so just like. It, it almost echoes what we're talking about because to her, it was sort of like, oh, don't worry, this happens. And to me, yeah. I'm, like, I'm like, mom, my mom's dying. You, you know what I mean? Like, it's, Totally. Right. You have these two different perspectives. Not that a nurse, I mean, honestly, how could you be a, an effective clinician of any kind if you were feeling everybody's tragedy on a personal level every 15 yes. minutes? Right? You can't do that. Um, but- so what ha- so in your opinion the lack of knowledge from nurses and doctors what is the, what was the harm to you as a type a newly diagnosed type 1 what was their lack of knowledge how did their lack of knowledge harm you you know i that's a really good question how do i answer that it it, it really basically left managing this disease with zero education. I'm walking out of the hospital with literally zero education. I did see a diabetic nurse, but there's one diabetic nurse for our whole hospital. And 
so she quickly came up and said, this is the insulin you're going to get started on. And, um, do you have benefits? Okay, perfect. You have extended benefits. So it should cover that. And, um, uh, you'll have a follow-up with us once you're, um, discharged. And, and that was my diabetic consultation. So <laughs> I immediately took charge as soon as I was discharged home. I reached out to so many different resources. My sister is also, um, she has her PhD in clinical psychology. Okay. And so, and she's, um, she has one more year of internship and then, and then she's ready to start working, start to start her practice. So of course she was very involved. We have a very close family and she, um, immediately reached out to her resources and found this, uh, type one diabetic group for BC that, uh, for British Columbia that, that supports mental health. And it's basically like a peer support program. So I, I immediately joined that. Um, and my nursing friend who I actually went to nursing school with, who is around the same age as me, she's been a type one since she was 16 years old. I immediately reached out to her and she actually became my, you know, what I joke as my personal diabetic nurse. Mm. I, um, was able to message her, call her at any time. She put in my first Libre glucose sensor because I was afraid to do that on my own. Um, I sourced out all my own support and was able to get education through that, through those resources I find, mm -hmm. I found. Um, but here I am being discharged when we give insulin in the hospital, it's a critical medication and we have to do what's called a blind double check. So I dial up my insulin for what I think my patient needs based on their glucose. And I show my coworker what their glucose is, but I don't show them what I've dialed up the insulin to. And they're supposed to come to that same, um, dosage that I came to. And then we both sign for the medication. So all of a sudden I'm being discharged home, having to give myself insulin and nobody's double checking it. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just, it's really, really unnerving How many times to know how critical it is. How many times in a clinical setting did you dial up one thing and the person you checked with disagreed with you? Oh, maybe twice in my career. Okay. Is that enough to make you scared personally? Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. So it was. Silly. Yeah. So silly. But I understand. Um, it, it, so, uh, you have any And just the exercise, just the movement, Scott. Yeah. Nobody ever told me or did I ever read or ever know that after you give fast-acting insulin, and I think this is fairly common amongst type 1s, the closer to giving that insulin that you move around, even just go for a simple walk, the more at risk you are for hypoglycemia. Mm -hmm. yeah. No one ever told me that. So here I am trying to do dishes and I'm ending up on the floor sweating, thinking what's going on. And then I check my blood sugar and, you know, you put two and two together, but I mean, really, um, carb counting, we don't carb count as nurses in the hospital. I know nothing about that. Interesting. We just go by a scale on what that patient's blood sugar is and give their insulin according to that. So, um, yeah, it, it really was shocking to me how much I didn't know. Well, what you said was that you created a, a group of people around you to help you. And you, yes. you had resources because of, you're a nurse. But yes, but 
your resources still didn't help you that much because you're sweating on the floor while you're doing dishes. And the bigger question to me is, what is everyone else supposed to do? Like, yes, you know, like it's you knew people. It's a great question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you so think? this group that I that I joined, um, it's actually called the T1 Huddle Group. Um, for any listeners that are in British Columbia, it's run by Dr. Trisha Tang, and it's really such a wonderful group. We use WhatsApp to message each other. And we just, um, there's an ongoing chat conversation. We can ask anything in, in the, in the chat. And, uh, you've got a group of people here to support you from newly diagnosed to, you know, going on 60 years with diabetes. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I was really lucky to have my friend who, who had been type one for so long. Yeah. Have you ever seen the Facebook group that I put together for the podcast? The private yes, group. I think I think it did. Oh, is it private? There's a private group. There's one that I just put up like something's coming out, but there's a private one that's exactly what you're talking about, except it's, you know, well, at this point, like well over 14,000 people in there and like, over, wow. like, like 11,000 of them are active every day. It's fast. It's amazing. We yeah. really need this peer support because what I also found is that a lot of my clinicians, the diabetic nurses, my endocrinologist, the diabetic uh, nurse at the hospital, they don't have diabetes. So, I mean, they have some level of education and understanding on it, but the lived experience is just night and day from mm-hmm. being a clinician to actually having type one diabetes yourself. Yeah. Wow. That's really, I listen, I can't agree with that enough. Um, mm-hmm. the, the idea of being able to talk to other people, bounce ideas off them, have a, I mean, it takes a while to figure out who you can trust and who doesn't know what they're talking about yet. But if you get, Definitely. A, if you get a good, if you get a good group, the people who don't know lay back a little bit and they, mm-hmm. and they wait till they figure things out. Like people don't say, I mean, at least in my group, you, you don't get a lot of people saying the like patently wrong thing. You know what I mean? Like. You, mm-hmm. you don't hear like what color is the sky and they're like purple and they go like, oh, wait a minute you don't know it's not it's not like that like sometimes people exactly will say i think or i don't know or in my experience they use phrasing that helps you understand what their understanding is which i think is also really valuable but yes. i am um, i've said it a million times here like i started this group because listeners asked me to and not mm-hmm. because i wanted to and to be perfectly honest like being the moderator of a facebook group is not exactly high on my to-do list of, you know, things I ever wanted to be involved in, but it, yes, it remains like, it's one of the things I'm prouder of. It's uh, really interesting uh, to watch. Yeah. And you should be because just, just the need. And I mean, it's, it's no different in, in the States than it is in Canada, the need to have that peer support. I'm telling you this last year of my life, if I did not have that peer support would have been so much different. Yeah. And the other thing is that I, I have a regular counselor, a uh, clinical counselor that I had seen over the years. Um, but I quickly found out that there isn't actually a psychologist or a registered clinical counselor that is a type one themselves in BC. Okay. So I actually... Um, and I don't even know if I should say this, but I'm going to anyway, I actually, through my sister found a, um, clinical psychologist out of Toronto, Canada, Mm -hmm. who is a type one herself. So she specializes in type one therapy and, and how important that was to actually do a zoom call and see her drinking an orange juice or an apple juice while I'm on, while she's counseling me 
I can't tell you the connection that that creates, Mm. you know, and I, and I, you know, quickly, once I got over the hump, went back to my, my regular counselor that I just see, um, the odd time when I need to, and she still even apologizes that she doesn't know anything about type one diabetes. So she can try to understand and she, she can try to relate as much as she can, but it's just not there. Yeah. I've had a number of therapists on the show who also have type one and I find my conversations with them to be really enjoyable. And uh, yeah. they have a, it's a, it's obvious different insight. They have, they have real world training in talking to people about troubles. And at the same mm-hmm. time, they have a deeper understanding of type one because they live with it. And it, I mean, mm-hmm. not that a regular therapist can help you, but I mean, I mean, I'd rather have an ex pro teach me how to pitch than a guy who's just theorizing about, it. <laughs> you know, like, so great analogy. Right, right, yeah. yeah. I mean, somebody, somebody really knows the, the ins and outs and, and the pitfalls and things that other people just would never know about. I mean, it, your whole story is a, I mean, is an example of that, right? Like, you know, you yeah. think you have people there who know what they're talking about and they just, they, there's no way for them to, and that leaves you with a lot of deficits then. Yeah, you know, definitely. Like it's not, and it's not their fault. Like we talk and joke and mess around all the time about doctors not really understanding type one diabetes and everything. But mm-hmm. it's like, how could they? Like, yeah, I mean, well, it's not in their training. Well, and that. and the nutrition that goes with it isn't either because I reached out to one of my um, friends who is a doctor at the hospital that I worked at. And, you know, told her what my A1C was when I was diagnosed, which was 11, by the way, and I've gotten it down to 5.7. Um, but, you know, I went for a walk with her one day and I said, oh, I'm go- I'm going to half bowl this for my lunch and then I'll, I'll go for a walk with you. And she didn't even really understand that concept. And to think of how many years they spend in training. And she didn't even know that basic concept of type one diabetes. It just really fascinated me. It makes me angry at the same time, but it really fascinated me. Yeah. But I mean, how could she really know unless she would live with it? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I guess type one diabetes is a specialty that goes to an endocrinologist. And I know that family physicians, general practitioners can't know everything about every disease. Right. So I do understand that part. Um, but I think type one diabetes, from what I've heard over the last year, I think may be coming um, more and more people diagnosed with it. They're, they're almost saying that they're seeing this post COVID in, in some individuals and people are getting diagnosed later in life. Cause I found that really fascinating about myself as well. Like why me? Why at 37? Yeah. Like how did that happen? But and, and my personal opinion on that is that obviously it was born with the genetic predisposition to have type one diabetes and the stress of working through a pandemic ultimately, again, in my own opinion is what brought out my disease um, because I had no viral infection. I had, I had no, um, nothing like that happen leading up to it. Yeah. But you did say you were panicked about COVID. I have never felt that kind of stress in my life. And I think that was very taxing on my immune system. Yeah. You might have ended up being one of those ladies that gets it at 60 years old or something like that. Had that not happened. I could have. I very yeah. well could have, Scott. I do believe that. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. It's, I mean, mm-hmm. I don't want to say fun, but it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's interesting to muse about and, and wonder about out loud, like, you know, what, what it is that, um, you know, kind of pushed you over the edge like that. 
I know. I wish there was a test for it, but you know, we'll never know. Um, you can just kind of theorize. Yeah. And um, hey, no and other yeah. type one in your family or other, how about like celiac, thyroid, uh, I don't know, stuff like that in your family, bipolar, anything like that in the line? So no type one. I have a grandpa who is uh, type two. Mm. Um, on my maternal side and, uh, my father and I think his mother have hypothyroid. So at the same time as getting type one, excuse me, I, um, quickly realized my thyroid function was poor as well. So I do have hypothyroidism as well, that it basically went hand in hand within that first week of diagnosis. I have been waiting to get back to that because the brittle hair (laughs) thing, the brittle hair thing was not the diabetes. And it wasn't the low iron. So nope. That, yeah, that was definitely the thyroid. Yeah. But it wasn't showing up on my TSH yet, which, yeah. which is really fascinating. Like, I wish I could talk at length with my endocrinologist. Like, well, what about this? What about that? How does this work? How does that work? Because I clearly was sick for a couple of years. I clearly was. But nothing really obvious was showing up in my lab work. So somehow... You know, my body was compensating Nicole, for as long as it could. Let me run something off the flagpole here and see if anybody salutes, okay? Um, they're going to tell you that in range for TSH, some doctors will tell you we don't treat till 8 or 10, right? Like, uh, wow. Until, but I'm going to tell you that over two, you have thyroid issue. Yeah, and that that is really interesting. So, right. I mean, I was like 2.63 or something like that when, um, when, when I was in the hospital and... And then quickly went to four point something and, and felt awful, super cold. I mean, my hair was coming out in handfuls. What, what number Um, did they give you medication at? When did they finally say you have hypothyroidism? At four, four point six, I would say. Did they scan your thyroid to see if you have Hashimoto's? No. And, you know, I've never brought that up with my endocrinologist, but obviously I've, I've learned about that on your podcast. I learned so many things on your podcast. I haven't had a chance to say that yet. I mean, it's just, it's incredible. You, you really are, you really are a celebrity in the type one world. And I can't thank you enough for having this podcast. It was oh. one of the first things I was told to start listening to oh. by uh, a peer pure type one. Nicole, um, Nicole, you can butter my bread in a couple minutes when we say goodbye. Yeah. But just hold on a second. Like before that, before that, I'm going to tell you, Dr. Scott would have been giving you a hormone replacement back with the hair and, yeah. and the 2.6. At 2.6, based on only what I've learned on this podcast and through my personal uh, goings-ons with my family members, I 2.6, I would have said, You're hypoth- you have hypothyroidism and we're going to start you on a low level of Synthroid. Like, I would have, I don't know how to choose it, but I would have figured it out. Like, the amount, I'm sure it's something to do with weight. We could have figured it out with Google. Anyway, I'm saying, I'm saying you would have been there and done. Like, you are, Exactly. And yeah. especially based on symptoms. Like, it doesn't always have to be about lab values when you treat something. Yeah. If for everyone listening, thyroid related, treat the symptoms, not the test. Yes. Please don't treat the number. Treat your symptoms. If you have the symptoms and you're 2.5 or 2.8 or 3.1, you have a thyroid issue and just do it. Yeah. And fight for it. Like you, you, your doctor may not agree, but honestly, I, I am the lived experience of that. And, and, you know, like, and my hair in the last year, it's amazing how much thicker my hair has gotten. And I can see this, like, 
you know, my best friend is my hairdresser and we just, we joke about it. You, you can see this line of where my hair started to grow back in. And mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it's clinically like, I was, I had a normal TSH, but I, I was suffering. Insulin's a hormone. Thyroid makes hormones. Your body mm-hmm. is not good at dealing with hormones. <laughs> So, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I just that's, learned that's, that. Yeah, You figured it all out. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I'm going to ask if there's anything we didn't talk about that we should have. No, I don't think so. Okay. I just, um, my whole point for this podcast is just that if there are healthcare professionals listening, um, I, I don't even know how to say it, but just I mean, I, I had a fasting glucose of 8.5. That definitely should have been followed up on. But when you're in healthcare, you you somehow, like we were talking about at the beginning, you feel invincible. You feel like nothing is wrong with you. Um, but I, I think you need to be more open-minded because I think we can be very narrow-minded thinking nothing will happen to us. And um, and and look where I ended up, right? I, I, I had the symptoms screaming in my face. So I think listening to what your body is trying to tell you is so important. When that doctor like saw that number and let you go, do you think that was professional courtesy? Do you think if it wasn't you, the doctor would have pushed harder? He knew my level of phobia for needles and, you know, I, I don't, think that it was right that he didn't push for it because he knew I was bothered by needles. I think he should have left it up to me and said, this needs to be followed up on whether you go or not is up to you, but I will write the order for a lab requisition that we need to repeat these labs, I think is what should have happened. But his response was more like, you don't like needles. Okay. Forget it. Which is makes it dismissive and makes you feel like, well, it must not be that big of a deal if he doesn't care. Exactly. Because even as a nurse, you still rely on your doctor to to take care of you. I can tell you're Canadian because if you were American, you'd be suing that guy. Yeah, so, I know. <laughs> I'm just teasing. <laughs> Everyone stop being so litigious. Um, but <laughs> like it, it, it uh, okay. All right. That makes sense. Now's the part where you say great stuff about me. Um, where did you? <laughs> yeah, no, honestly. <laughs> hold on, hold on, I mean, sorry. it was. Oh, I feel stupid saying it, but I, what I really meant was, is like, how did you find the podcast and, and, if it's been valuable for you, can you tell me in what way? Yeah. So how I found the podcast was as soon as I joined our T1 huddle group is what it's called. Um, this, this gal, um, who lives about four hours away from me, um, I kind of connected with her and she, she was a year into her diagnosis just as I was diagnosed. So she just kind of, she wrote me this really lovely email and she basically just, you know, step one, you need to do this, which is, you know, apply for the disability tax credit. Um, Step two, you need to contact your um, vehicle insurer because they need to do a medical exam. Step like, basically, these are all the things you need to do. And in in her list um, was, you know, the juice box podcast is a really great resource. So while I was on medical EI trying to sort out my insulin dosages and just learn my new life, um, I would go for walks every day, which is incredible at managing your blood sugar, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I would listen to your podcast and it, the bold with insulin. Of course, I think this is a common thing. People love that series. Um, I, I really became less and less afraid of insulin listening to your podcast 
and definitely more uh, motivated to have my blood sugars low. Like in the beginning, you know, you're okay with having them at, I closed my tablet here at 10. Um, what would that be? That would be at 180. That's not good. Right. So I, th- I think your podcast and, and, you know, my, my clinicians, they would say, oh, that's great. Like anything over 180 um, should be addressed, but you know, 180 is fine. Well, it's not fine. And, and being a registered nurse now, I, I know that. So I think your, your podcast, it just, it really helped to just better understand things. I'm glad. Oh, that's excellent. It, yeah. And yeah. It's so entertaining that your walks must've just whisked right by. They did. Yeah. Do you find me irritating, but the information's so good, you just deal with it? I got a review like that the other day, which, by the way, if you're trying to hurt my feelings, it's too late. <laughs> I've been married for 25 years. You can't touch me. But um, it's uh, it, it, <laughs> I love those are my fa- actually it, being serious. I don't need a bunch of them. So please don't do this. But um, yeah. to hear that someone doesn't really like me, but listens to the podcast because it's so valuable warms my heart a little bit. Like it, makes, it should. It makes me feel like, wow, the information here is so good. They have to put up with me <laughs> to get to yeah. it. Um, yeah. By, by the way, other people seem to like my personality, but that, and not that everybody needs to um, or that I would expect everybody to. I, I would expect the exact opposite. But I'm, I'm just – I honestly mean like without any sarcasm. If you found a podcast where you're like, oh, I really don't like this host, but the, the content's so good, I'm going to listen to it anyway – uh, that makes me feel really good about the content. It really does. Like, yeah, and it should. Yeah, I can't be for everybody. But No, if, if exactly. That's not how like, the world works. I like it when I get like a bad review and it's still a good review and you read it. Like you read it and you're like, wow, yeah. this person's mad. They're like, but they still like it. That's interesting. Yeah. 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 Uh, and, and while no, we're I, the- I think you put a good spin on it. And I, and I think that, that a lot of listeners would agree with that. And you, you kind of normalize it and, and you, you have your experience with Arden and, um, you know, your, your sense of humor does put a certain spin on this. I mean, it would be extremely dry if you weren't the host, oh my in my own opinion. Let me, tell you, <laughs> let me tell you two different things. First of all, I'm way funnier than this. I'm holding it back because if, okay. if we just drilled down into the mania that is my sense of humor, First of all, a lot of you would be put off. <laughs> and, and, and secondly, uh, you'd be like, I don't know what he's talking about. Because my mind would just explode into weird directions. And I'd start piling on top. Basically, when you think I'm being amusing, I have a cap on myself trying to hold about 80% of my personality in. Um, but I, I do also believe what you're saying, that one of the reasons this all works is because it's not dry and it's not boring. And it is conversational. And, you know, for the people out there who like to say that I talk too much, to you I say, uh, shut up. Because, no, I don't mean it like that. Because it, somebody has to drive the conversation. And, it's true. And you don't realize, like, I, you know, once in a while I'll hear a critique from people. And, and so that they know, I actually pay attention. When I do the transcripts for the show, the transcripts tell me what percentage of the time I'm speaking versus what percentage of the time the other person Okay. Speaks. And I speak usually about, it's usually about 60, 40. Mm-hmm. And if I stay right around 60, 40, I feel very good. If I get more 50, 50, then I'm like in a Dexcom thing where people are just spewing out information. Um, and if I go much over 63%, even when I listen back, I think, oh, I spoke a little too much today. Like I can, That's interesting. I, I can feel that. But, yeah. but you guys don't know that sometimes I interview people 
who who's who still have something valuable to say, but it's not their inclination to speak and pontificate and go on. Mm-hmm. And if I don't keep prodding them with silliness or questions or et cetera, they'll just stop talking. Mm-hmm. Well, I- there was one podcast that I'm thinking of when you when you explain that. Mm-hmm. And I wish I could remember the title of it, but it was a, a young gal who um, was living um, the vegan life. Right. She, she was... Uh, on a vegan diet. And, um, she seemed very, very shy, although very sweet, very shy. And, yeah. and I could see you trying to draw this information out of her. Right. So yeah, if you're not, if you're not like that, that, that podcast wouldn't have, you wouldn't have been able to post it really. No, it would just be silence. And then what yeah. would you do? So, and, <laughs> and there's another, you know, and the other aspect of it is, is the, is the entertainment value. Like people are like, Oh, it's entertaining. Well, it's entertaining. Cause I say, you know, because I actually have ridiculous thoughts in the middle of people's serious conversations. <laughs> um, and then I say them out loud and then people go, oh, my God, why did he think of that? Like, what do you mean that this, the, the Gulf of California, you didn't know it existed? Of course it exists. And I'm looking at it. I'm 50 years old. and I was like, I've never seen that before. So, um, you know, like, like that that kind of stuff makes it, it, it makes it real. And if somebody just, made, if somebody made a dry conversation about type 1 diabetes, you wouldn't listen to 10 of them and you'd be done. It's true. You know, so I I appreciate people who I, I also think this. I think that <clears throat> I think that it could rub some adult type ones a little wrong that I don't have diabetes. And let's just say I completely understand that. But sometimes when I hear from people, there's too much of the host, meaning like I'm giving my opinion too much. I think it would be important if I could meet those people, I would say to them, listen. You know, if you've listened to the pro tip series or the defining diabetes episodes or any of that stuff, that's all that is, is a conglomeration of all of my knowledge about type one diabetes. So that while we're in a conversation, you and I, and you have type one and I don't, if I can still relate some experience I've had, that's good for you, like that would be valuable for you. I I mean, I have to do that. I can't just sit back and not relate to the person having a conversation. And if I have something that I think is valuable to interject, I hope people would have enough trust in me to know that I'm building, I mean, I'm building a podcast that is fairly popular. Like I'm not just talking to talk. I recognize sort of what needs to be said in that moment. But I do think that I, I do understand why it would maybe, if I was a type one, and I was an adult and I was listening to a conversation where somebody with type one and somebody without type one were speaking, I'd want to hear from the type one more myself. I I, I understand why they might feel that way, but I'm doing, Yeah, I'm I do a little else. bit, but you yeah. know, I don't know. In your defense, um, how old was Arden when she was diagnosed? Two. Two? Yeah. Yeah. I mean she doesn't know what's going on. You are still the lived experience of type one diabetes. You, you were managing 100% of, of her type one diabetes. And I've been specifically paying attention in a way that you have to admit is uncommon. So very uncommon. Like when I started listening to your podcast and how you treat Arden's uh, diabetes, she is so extremely lucky to have had a father like you to be that involved. You know, I can see the benefit for, for her, you know, delaying or um, possibly not having any 
chronic um, like comorbidities from diabetes because you were on it from the get-go. That's the hope. She's right? incredibly lucky. Oh, please. I was going to call this episode Hand Stuff with Nicole, but... <laughs> <laughs> which I still think I'm going to do. Uh, but um, but now I might just call it Arden is Lucky, and that way she might actually listen to this one day when she gets Yeah, old. she might. Well, listen, in being serious and in my own defense, um, I did an interview yesterday with a doctor um, who, you know, you're going to love. His name's Dr. Addy uh, Saliati. And when you, when you hear it, he's brilliant about diabetes. Like, he really is. And yet, while he was talking, I thought, he, these are the things I've been saying for seven years on this podcast. Like he agrees with me. Like I didn't, I didn't say, here's what I think. Do you agree with me? I let him say what he thought. And then I was thinking like, wow, that's exactly what I've said about that over and over again on this show. Yeah. And that made me feel good. Like I was like, okay, my stuff is pretty solid, you know? And so, yeah. you know, so if somebody hears me talking too much, I get it. Maybe I'm irritating to you or whatever you wanted to hear from the person with type one, but I'm not just talking to talk. Although listen, I record a lot of these. You got to cut me a break if once or twice, you know, a month, I just like start babbling away. Like you should try making 600 of these podcasts. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, just say that it's free, Nicole, just say thank you. Like that's right. Every review should just say thank you. Stop critiquing me. I don't need this. Right. Yeah. There's always going to be someone. I'm teasing. They're fine. I, I people's thoughts are really valuable. Like I, I appreciate, yeah. I appreciate having them. But it, if I don't yeah. make fun of them, again, we don't have a podcast. We're just going to yeah, exactly. say thank you for your honest feedback. <laughs> wow, that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I got to make it into something. We're talking here. All right, listen. Yeah. We got to get out of this. You, you have been too delightful. You've taken up all of my day. I am on a no sleep high. That is, I'm going to crash very, very soon. I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure. And uh, and we might have heard from my mom if I decide not to edit it out. So big day. Yeah. Big day. Yes. Well, get some rest. I appreciate your time uh, with everything going on. And I and I really hope that uh, things go well with your mom. You were really kind to to put this off all day for me and and help me out. I did a lot of very not fun things in the time between when we were supposed to record and when we got to start. So I can only imagine, and I probably have a good idea of I'm what a, that included. I'm assuming you were watching Netflix, but Canadian Netflix is just like <laughs> Big Comfy Couch and stuff like that, right? <laughs> yeah. Hey, real quick, is Big Comfy Couch a Canadian thing? Um, well, it it was a show that my sister watched when we were growing up. I don't know if um, I, I might have been a little old for it when it came out, but yeah, it definitely, I definitely remember that show. Hmm. So is Big Comfy Couch, and there's a reason I'm asking this, so if you're still listening, hang on for one second. It premiered on March 2nd, 1992 in Canada, and on January 9th, 1995 in the U.S. This is a Canadian TV show, The Big Comfy Couch. There you go. Why did I ask you that? What what was the idiom you used earlier? Reshake? Give my head a shake. Give my head a shake which by the way you realize is actually going to be the name of the episode right yeah perfect i love it when you google give my head a shake the first video return that comes back is a song called give your head a shake on the big comfy couch and i saw that a couple hours ago while we were talking and that's what made me say that so oh i love that yeah so give it's by the way your y-e-r you guys don't oh it is yeah you guys don't live that far from here why are you so different? That that seems like slang. Aren't you being ruled by a monarch or something like that? Or do I not understand? 
I think we are, but I don't really understand that either. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it would be so easy to take over the world. Nobody pays attention to anything. (laughs) I know. First, I'd like to thank Nicole for coming on the show and sharing her story. And then I'm going to thank Touched by Type 1. Don't forget, you can find them at Instagram, Facebook, or at touchedbytype1.org. They really are doing amazing stuff. You should go check them out. Another thank you to Omnipod for sponsoring this episode of the Juicebox podcast. Find out more about that free 30-day trial of the Omnipod Dash at omnipod.com forward slash juicebox. And if you'd like to let Omnipod know that you're interested in that Omnipod 5, it's omnipod.com forward slash juicebox5. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back very soon with another episode of the Juicebox podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please share it with someone who you think might also enjoy it.